Krishna. I was gonna make a joke. I was gonna make a joke, but I won't. What purgatory? That's you're not. I mean. You're not in New York, so it yeah. doesn't go over. As, in New York, it'd be <laughs> people would be laughing already because they already know the joke. Yeah. <laughs> Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya Om ajnana timrandasya gyananjana shalakaya chakshuran militam yena tasmai shri gurave namaha panchakalpa trubhyas chakripasindubhye vichapatitanam bhavanibhyo vaishnavibhyo namo namaha For those unfamiliar, the first prayer is to the guru uh, who's opened my eyes the dark, uh, that were covered by the darkness of ignorance. Uh, and then the next one is obeisances to, the, to all of you, respects to the, uh, to the devotees who are present here. That's how it goes. You know, and, and devotees choose. It's not like there's an absolute set way that you say prayers before, uh, before class. There's, there's a variety, you know, and there's no like... Thou shall kind of thing going on, just so you know that. Okay, so we are um, continuing the um, this incredible uh, pastime that's taking place here, and now the the uh, the churning. So Krishna has. It, it's very interesting in this and the chapter we're going to cover today, and the next chapter. Every time there's some problem, Krishna appears in some in some form, you know, as a tortoise, um, uh, and uh, he arranges for Vasuki to be, to appear with, and arranges for, right, we're going to read right now for Lord Shiva to drink the poison, and uh, in the next chapter, we're hearing how he appears as his consort, Lakshmi Devi, and then, then as Mohini Murti, and he keeps uh, appearing, and that's one, I think, the lessons for us in our life, that when there's challenges, uh, if we take shelter of Krishna, if we take shelter of God, then in God's own way, in his own time, he, he appears uh, in one way or the other um, to, to help us out. So that's one of the big lessons. The other thing was I was listening to the Bhakti Center class today, and it was given by a, a devotee who has a PhD in astrophysics. Um, and uh, yeah, very you know, sharp, sharp young man. I think he went to, I think he may have gone to Cornell actually, or or Penn or Harvard or something. He, he's a smart guy, and he was talking about not not specifically this pastime, but some other pastimes in the Srimad Bhagavatam. And you know, when Raghunath and Kostuba talk about these pastimes, they kind of make lighter. Yeah, of course it's true, true, and they make some jokes about it or something, or make it light. And this person, no, he like, he like compares it to um, the, 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 the description of the universe, you know, and he gets into the whole measurements of it. And then he, then he uh, compares the, the pastimes in the Bhagavatam to um, other literature. He's talking about uh, Zoroastrian literature today and Greek literature and things like that. And so he was saying, yeah, of course, this is true. Uh, but from a totally different angle than, than others. So, um, it was it was interesting to hear that today. The young man, and he's really smart. And I, yeah, okay. So, um, so Lord Shiva uh, understands from Krishna, from from the Lord, that uh, this that this churning. So what's happening is 
they're churning this ocean of milk and all these different things are coming out of the ocean. Okay, so first thing to come out is this poison. Um, and so Lord Shiva says in 40, this, so this, if you're following along, we're on Canto 8, chapter 7, verse 40. My dear gentle wife, Bhavani, that's another name for Sati. We, those of us who are in wisdom of the sages know that that's fourth canto, uh, Lord Shiva's wife is Sati. When one performs benevolent activities for others, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Hari or Krishna, is very pleased. And when the Lord is pleased, I am also pleased, along with all other living and living creatures. Therefore, let me drink this poison for all the living entities may thus become happy because of me. So there's a great lesson there. There's no purport there, but that great lesson that performing benevolent activities. And in verse 44, we'll talk about the nature of benevolent activities in, um, yeah, when we get there. So 41, uh, Sukadeva Goswami, the original reciter of the Bhagavatam says, after informing Bhavani in this way, Lord Shiva began to drink the poison. And Bhavani, who knew perfectly well the capabilities of Lord Shiva, uh, gave him permission to do so. So there you go. It's, some, it's good to take permission from your partner um, before in going into any endeavor, <laughs> right? Any of, anyone who is, uh, has a partner or is married, was married, whatever, uh, they know that this is usually a good thing to do. You know, otherwise you come home and you say, you bought what? You did what? <laughs> you invested in what? <laughs> right? Like those things, uh, these things happen sometimes. <laughs> so she she gave permission for him to drink the poison, knowing that it would do good for others and it wouldn't hurt him. Thereafter, Lord Shiva, who is dedicated to auspiciousness, benevolent work for humanity, compassionately took the whole quantity of poison in his palm and drank it. Mm -hmm. So, and it says in the purport that although this was a huge amount, by his mystic power, he, he reduced the poison to a small quantity that could fit in his palm. As if in defamation, the poison born from the ocean of milk manifests its potency by marking Lord Shiva's neck with a bluish line. That line, however, is now accepted as an ornament of Lord Shiva. It is said, so here's a very beautiful verse. It is said that great personalities almost always accept voluntary suffering because of the suffering of people in general. This is considered the highest method of worshiping the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who is present in everyone's heart. Hmm. So uh, before we read the purport, so, you know, Srila Prabhupada would quote this sometimes, this verse, or refer to this uh, when talking about different devotees. He would talk about Lord Jesus in this way that, you know, voluntarily accepting suffering um, <clears throat> um, for the benefit of others. And Haridas Thakur and Vasudev, uh, Vasudev Datta, these are examples of great souls who, um, who, who Haridas Thakur was beaten and, and, and Vasudev Datta, he once told Lord Chaitanya, I'll take on the karma of everyone in the universe, if you would just let them go back home, back to Godhead. So could you imagine how much karma that would be? <laughs> Can you imagine? So he, he's considered such a, but this is the mood 
we may not, you know, go up to Krishna and say, I'll take everybody's car. No, we probably wouldn't do that. But the the idea of um, um, salvation isn't a, uh, it's not a selfish thing and it's not just for us. But part of reaching real spirituality, real pure devotional service, real bhakti, is to give people the opportunity to also take up bhakti. Now, that you know, it's not that that necessarily has to be done in this way or that way. Many people get you know turned off by people who are very evangelical and you know try to stuff religion down their throat or whatever. But how are and in some countries it's it's considered totally fine to do stuff. I mean, I've been to countries where oh yeah, well, that's just the way everyone expects. <laughs> it's not so much in America, at least not these days or at least in certain parts of America these days. But um, that's, why I, that's why I worded the last sentence, you know, giving people an opportunity to learn about bhakti. You know, oh, there's this uh, nice uh, podcast that goes on, you might be interested in it, or here's some nice uh, uh, vegetarian food offered to Krishna, or here's a book about Krishna, you know, and, and just, or, you know, in any way that we can do it, we are all happy, you know, there's some devotees as uh, we heard on, I think uh, Dana was on that class and Henry was also um, in the Bhakti Center on Friday, I think it was. So Sukhada Devi gave a class and she spent her whole youth, her whole entire 20s, uh, every day distributing Srila Prabhupada's books. Now we may not be like that, but we may you know, run into somebody someplace and uh, tell them a little bit about Krishna, you know, according to our, our nature. Henry uh, likes to, uh, he, he, he talks to people about Krishna at funerals a lot. <laughs> he thinks it's a great way. He looks in the social section of the paper because he's a socialite in, 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 in DC and he'll go to a funeral and meet someone, you know, and you know, tell them a little bit about Krishna consciousness. So, so you know, in, in our own ways, in our own time, um, Shanaz is a cook. She might cook something beautifully, offer it to Krishna and, give people some prasadam. We all can do it in different ways. I, I did it one way for 11 years. I traveled around America um, in a van distributing books and giving talks and things like that. And then at one time in India, I was speaking to judges about Krishna. I wasn't, you know, sleeping in a van at that time or, you know, living austerely, but I was, uh, so we, we, you know, different times in our life also. So let's read, let's look at some of this purport. Um, here is an explanation of how those engaged in activities for the welfare of others are quickly recognized by the Supreme Personality of God. The Lord says in Bhagavad Gita, this is right near the end of the Gita, Ya idam paramam buyam mad abhitasyati achastasman manusheshu kaschin me priyakritamaha. One who preaches the message of Bhagavad Gita to my devotees is most dear to me. No one can excel him and satisfying me by worship. And sometimes you see preaching has like a negative connotation sometimes in America, right? So we could, but Prabhupada was, of course he wrote this in the 670s and um, we might use outreach, we might use sharing, but it's the same idea. Um, <clears throat> there are different kinds of welfare activities in this material world, right? Right, there's different kinds of welfare. What are, 
what are some standard welfare activities that people can do in this world? Feed the homeless. Feed the homeless, yes. What are some other philanthropic activities? Donations at different organizations, for example, for blind children, for cancer organizations, yeah. you know, National Child Foundation, things like those, digging wells, hospitals. Mm -hmm. Very nice. Thank you, Rupa. Anyone else? Collecting money for Ukraine. Yeah, okay. Collecting money for Ukraine. Various. Yeah. Shanaz, you were going to say something? You're yeah, on. Adam. No, you are. No, we hear you now. We hear you. Offering uh, classes for the community, like um, mm -hmm. so they can better themselves. Yeah, yeah. Offering classes to the community so they can better themselves. Yes. So these and these are nice uh, welfare activities. They're generally in the mode of goodness, trying to help others. And and Sheila Prabhupada acknowledged that there are different kinds of what, but he says, but the supreme welfare activity is the spreading of Krishna consciousness. Other welfare, now listen to the other welfare activities cannot be effective for the laws of nature and the results of karma cannot be checked. It is by destiny or the laws of karma that one must suffer or enjoy. For instance, if one is given a court order, he must accept it, whether it brings suffering or profit. Similarly, everyone is under obligations to karma and its, its reactions. No one can change this. So now that doesn't negate that these are, because in, in the... What chapter is that of the Bhagavad Gita? In the eighth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. Eighth chapter? Or is it 12th chapter? Or Man or Jiva or Nana, which one is it where uh, perform pure devotional service, you can't do that, do this. If you can't do that, do this. If you can't do that, do this. Anyone remember what? I'm getting my chapters confused. Yeah, I think Hare Krishna. Was, so, uh, chapter 12, verses okay. eight, eight, through, 12. 8 through 12. Thank you, thank you. Yes. Yeah. So in eleven, I believe it is, Krishna says, if you can't, then then do good, do something good for others. So, um, and I, you know, I'm 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 hopeful. Maybe someone who gave a donation for uh, heart research at one time, and I and then they figured out how to do uh, uh, minimally invasive heart surgery. And I've benefited; my body benefited from that when I had open heart surgery many years ago. But but. but but what Srila Prabhupada is saying here stands that um, because we're the soul, we're not the body. We even even helping my heart will help will last as long will that benefit will last me as long as my body lasts. But giving something that benefits the soul, the real person, the real us, that is the greatest welfare activity because you're actually. Um, you know, the example is sometimes given, you're actually pouring water on the root of the tree instead of trying to put little drops of water on each leaf or something like that. So that's what's uh, being said here. <clears throat> now, in the next paragraph, one, this is a powerful statement. One should endeavor for that which is never attained by wandering up and down the universe as a result of the reactions of karma. So there's a verse that says, Brahmanda Brahmite Konya Bhagavan Jeev, that the that we as a soul, we are transmigrating into different bodies, sometimes higher parts of a universe, sometimes lower parts, this and that. And so this verse is saying we should endeavor for that which is not obtained in those wanderings as a result of our karma. 
And what is that? One should endeavor to become Krishna conscious. If one tries to spread Krishna consciousness all over the world, he should be understood to be performing the best welfare activity. The Lord is automatically very pleased with him. If the Lord is pleased with him, what is left to be, for him to achieve? Now that sentence has given me solace many times in my life. That sentence. If Krishna is pleased with me, if God is pleased with me, what is left to be achieved? So I may be disappointing this person, or I may have made this mistake, or uh, you know, I may have tried really hard and this didn't work out. Or, but if I actually had pure devotional intention, I'm doing this for Krishna's pleasure. I'm trying to be a spiritual person. Um, it's all good. <laughs> and all the worries of this world kind of go by the wayside. If I could, if I, you know, when I think of this sentence, at least for me, that's how that sentence hits me. And then he gives a little, uh, in the next sentence, he gives a little idea how to do that. One, if one has been recognized by the Lord, even if he does not ask the Lord for anything, the Lord who is within everyone supplies him what he wants. So even on, on, a, on a pure level, one doesn't even have to ask Krishna for something. Just pleasing him, he reciprocates. He knows what we need. Um, that doesn't mean that someone who goes to a church, temple, synagogue, etc., mosque, and you know, is praying for something material is, a, is just a terrible person. Uh, in other places in the Gita, there's different levels. In other places in the Gita, such a person is called Sukritina. They have some piousness. So they, they understand that God can give these things. So they're recognizing God, even if they're not approaching him in a mood of pure bhakti, of pure devotion. But pure devotion is that Krishna knows my heart. I just want to please him and serve him and serve his devotees. And, you know, if something comes my way, great. If not, my thing is pleasing Krishna. Now that's that's an elevated consciousness in any in any faith to have that kind of faith and 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 bhakti. Okay, so questions, comments, Gurudas? Hare Krishna and obeisances to all the devotees. Um, so. I am not very realized personally, but I have complete faith in this statement. But I'm going to ask on behalf if if there are um, if there are those that doubt, because for a while this gave me some doubt too. Is how do you know that the Lord is pleased with your? How do you know? That's a great question, and that you know we could talk about that for hours, but. Uh, I'll just start to answer that at least and see what others think. Um, well, actually, before I do, what would what anyone like to uh, reply to Gurudas's, uh, say we have so many scholars here. We have Jiva and his wife and Nandi Muki and Mun and Andy's becoming a scholar. And Henry's- Could you restate the question? The question is, how do you know you're pleasing Krishna? You do, you feel it. You feel it. Okay, so it's experiential, you're saying. And what is the feeling? You, you, uh, you, you know, your, your hand twitches? or Inner satisfaction. Inner satisfaction, okay. Very good. Yeah, I agree, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> hey, Krishna. Uh, Man, so you agree? Yeah, yeah, I was going to say a similar okay. to what Henry 
said, yeah. Okay, great. Ananda Rupa? Yes, Prabhu, I just wanted to just add a little bit from my very little experience and realization in front of all of you. Um, uh, some of the ways I feel, I, I would like to think Krishna is pleased is if we get more devotee association, mm. uh, more seva, it may not come in a favorable manner because ultimately it's Krishna's plan. But um, so if we, if we feel that we are becoming more and more interested to offer seva in different ways, that is certainly one of the ways a sign that Krishna is pleased and accepting our services because Wonderful. his devotees are pleased. So, so if, you're, if your service attitude increases, very nice, lovely. These are all great answers. You see, it's much better than me answering. Uh, anyone else? Yeah, another thing I have noticed, I guess, within me is, you know, you're facing difficulties and you uh, initially say, okay, Krishna, please take care of this. And then you say, okay, this is my karma. Let me try to tolerate and uh, slog through. And, you know, uh, and Krishna, please give me a chance to serve you or think along those lines. So you can kind of see your thought process first mm -hmm. and see how uh, you can go from, say, Raj Sikh level to Satvik to, say, maybe a little bit, 0.0001% uh, of. Uh, should sattvic nice nice so sattvic is mode of goodness should sattvic is transcendental goodness yeah i, I like that because i that, that's one way that you know as henry's speaking you feel it uh and for me it kind of manifests in seeing things more clearly mm -hmm. and and not being so disturbed by the ups and downs of this world but seeing a little bit or feeling yes seeing or thinking a little bit more with the eyes of eternity, you know, that this, you know, uh, and put it, therefore putting things of this world more in perspective. That's one thing, but I, I all these are great, you know, that you get the, uh, the associate, were you, Jiva or Nanda, you gonna add, add something? Yes, Prabhu, I also wanted to add that in day-to-day -day life, we face so many challenges, like it's difficult to be tolerant most of the times. And so we hear in uh, beautiful teachings that we should be humble, we should be tolerant. And it is later on when we do some introspection, we realize how, how good we were in certain situations. So like what you're saying that, uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's the, the way we see the things, but it's all closely tied to actually being humble and tolerant too, right? Mm, so yes. because the more we develop that, we know it in our heart. Actually, at the end of everything, we know it in our heart how we did. Mm. So that's pleasing to Krishna. He says in chapter 12 in Bhagavad Gita, who is most dear to him. I mean, what qualities are in devotees are endearing to him. So if we see ourselves, find ourselves on, on that path, certainly that must be pleasing to Krishna. Nice. Thank you. Other, other things I thought of is when Krishna's devotees are pleased with you. That's a sign. Um, like that. And also we, 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 we know when we're following Krishna's instructions. So that's also another sign. So it was great, great question, Gurudas. I hope uh, these answers were satisfactory. So let us continue. We're just about to finish this chapter and go into the next. Upon hearing of this act, everyone, including Bhavani, the, the daughter of Maharaj Daksha, for those who remember the fourth canto pastime, 
Lord Brahma, Lord Vishnu, and the people in general very highly praise this deed performed by Lord Shiva, who is worshipped by the demigods and who bestows benediction upon the people. Scorpions, cobras, poisonous drugs, and other animals whose bites are poisonous took the opportunity to drink whatever little poison had fallen and scattered from Lord Shiva's hand while he was drinking. So there you go. Um, so now we begin the next chapter, the churning of the milk ocean. So they're continuing to churn it. And all these different um, people and, and, and animals and things are going to appear from the churning, the most important of which will be the goddess of fortune um, and Danvantari. Well, I'm skipping ahead a little bit there. Um, so Canto 8, Chapter 8, text number 1. Oh, wait, uh, Nandi Mukhi put something in the chat. It may also be relevant to ask, how do you know if Krishna is not pleased? How do you know Krishna is not pleased? And why do you want to if, why do you want to if Krishna is pleased? Hmm. Interesting question, Nandi Mukhi. I think I'll move on because of time, but that, that's a very interesting question, especially that first one. How do you, uh, know if Krishna is not pleased. Think about that one. Want to know? Yes, thank you. Okay, so chap, um, Sukadeva Goswami continued. Upon Lord Shiva's drinking the poison, both the demigods and the demons, being very pleased, began to churn the ocean with renewed vigor. As a result of this, there appeared a cow known as Surabi. So here, the first thing to appear after the poison is uh, is a cow and. Um, if you read in the purport, you know how important the byproducts of the cows are, especially for the brahmanas who are doing different kinds of sacrifices. But we'll hear about that a little bit more. Um, o King Pariksit, great sages who were completely aware of the Vedic ritualistic ceremonies took charge of that sarabi cow. So the, so the sages got the cow, <laughs> which produced all the yogurt, milk, and ghee absolutely necessary for offering oblations into the fire. They did this just for the sake of pure ghee, which they wanted for the performance of sacrifices that elevate themselves to the higher planetary systems up to Brahmaloka. So they weren't pure devotees. They, some, of course, you can also do sacrifices with milk products that can be for pleasing Krishna. But here you, we see that they wanted to have a higher birth in this world uh, in, in future lives, not pure devotion. Thereafter, so that's okay. So uh, first the cow, and now uh, Uchai Shrava, the horse named, uh, appeared, which was as white as the moon was generated. Bali Maharaj desired to possess this horse, and Indra, the king of heaven, did not protest, for he had previously been so advised by the supreme personality of God. So if you remember, Krishna told uh, the demigods, "Don't you know? Don't get into it yet. If they want something and it's not so important, go ahead, let let them have it." Now the next, as the next result of the churning, the king of elephants named Aravrata was generated. This elephant was white, and with its four hus tusks, it defied the glories of Kailash Mountain, the glorious abode of Lord Shiva. Thereafter, O king, eight great elephants, which could go in any direction, were generated. They were headed by Aravana, Ar eight she-elephants headed by uh, Ab uh Abramu were thus were also generated. 
generated thereafter. So we had the elephants. Now comes these amazing uh, jewels. Thereafter, the great ocean were there generated thereafter from the great ocean were the celebrated gems, Koshtuba money. Everyone knows Koshtuba Prabhu and Pamaraga uh, money. Lord Vishnu to decorate his chest, desired to possess them. Generated next was the Parijatta flower, which decorates the celestial planets. O King, as you fulfill the desires of everyone on this planet by fulfilling all ambitions, the Parijatta fulfills the desires of everyone. So imagine this flower is so fragrant, so wonderful, that when people come in contact, they, they feel so satisfied. Right? Um, what is uh, what is your favorite flower? Anyone want to say what they what you think is, or what you know? What do you think? Well, what's your favorite? Let's just add. What is your favorite flower to offer to Krishna? That way, it's a little you know. But either way, same same question basically. Lilacs. Lilacs. Okay. I would like to offer. I would what like to offer that? lotus, but I don't get to offer it. Okay, lotus. Uh, Gurdas. Yeah. Roses. Roses. Shanaz? I like to pick the wildflowers. Wildflowers, okay. Henry and I do that when we go hiking in the spring. Yeah. Peonies. Peonies, uh-huh. Anyone else? Well, in honor of being in Florida, a fragapony, or how do you say that, flower, you know, um, um, strong. Um, plumeria, a plumeria flower. They're my, my new favorite. Uh-huh, nice. And I think I like uh, chumpak flowers. They're incredibly aromatic. You walk by a chumpak tree and it just, oh, awesome. whoa, it just like hits you. Yeah, I know they're in Hawaii in America, right, Henry? You see them in Hawaii? But um, they're in Vrindavan, they're in India as well. Uh, that's what I've seen. I've never been to Hawaii. Um, so Krishna has created all these amazing flowers, right? And uh, one time Prabhupada talked about diversity. And he said, just like a, uh, a flower vase, when it's filled with a variety of flowers, is most attractive. So similarly, uh, when there's devotees from all different kinds of backgrounds, um, Krishna's very pleased to see that, that, that decoration of devotee-like flowers. Okay, text seven. Next, there appeared the Apsaras, who are now, it says here, who are used as prostitutes in the heavenly planets, but don't. Um, society women might be a better, maybe a better way for using our, because they're not like, you know, hanging out, you know, on, you know, uh, uh, like the uh, Simon Garfunkel song on Second Avenue, or something like that, you know, you know, uh, um, yeah, it's not, it's not the same. <laughs> they were fully decorated with golden ornaments and lockets and were dressed in fine and attractive clothing. The Apsaras move very slowly in an attractive style that bewilders the inhabitants of the heavenly planets. Then there appeared the goddess of fortune, Rama. It's another name for Lakshmi, or, or, or originally Radha, Radharani who is absolutely dedicated to being enjoyed by the Supreme Personality of Godhead. She appeared like electricity, uh, surpassing the lightning that might illuminate a marble mountain. So imagine you know, how beautiful lightning can be sometimes, especially if it's not destructive lightning, but right? and imagine a mountain of marble and how it would 
you know, it's a, again, uh, as we've said so often, there's so many beautiful metaphors, analogies, uh, things in, in, in the Pagwatam. So a light, lightning that illuminates a marble mountain. <laughs> Somebody who's good at, you know, um, computer graphics should do something like that. See what it looks like. <clears throat> okay, so um, the next verse, because of her exquisite beauty, her bodily features, her youth, her complexion, her glories, everyone, including the demigods, the demons and the human beings desired her. They were attracted because she is the source of all opulence. Okay, so Rama or Lakshmi is um, like people will often talk about dollars or rupees or whatever as Lakshmi, right? Because it's a manifestation of the goddess of fortune. That's a, there was once a record put out that George Harrison produced called the goddess of fortune. I, it's on uh, YouTube. You can listen to it. It's, it's a beautiful record, including, yeah, that he, that George produced with the devotees. Um, so the purport, who in this world does not want to possess wealth, beauty, and the social respectability that comes from these opulences? Well, you know, the, the average person, right? That, that's why, you know, whatever the National Enquirer or People Magazine is popular or whatever the equivalent is online these days. Um, because, you, you know, there's some attraction to, to hear about beautiful people or famous people or um, wealthy people, you know, the, the wealthy people. I mean, Bill Gates is just a geek, basically. <laughs> but he's a geek with a lot of money. So he's famous in this world, right? Uh, or, you know, Steve Jobs is not, you know, sometimes he, uh, he really pushed his employees, wasn't always considered nice, but he was a geek and he was very famous. And also the cool thing about him was that he, uh, in his famous lecture at Stanford University at the uh, um, commencement, he, he said that he, he made it through college because of the Hare Krishnas, the free Sunday lunch, the free Sunday meal. <laughs> he mentioned that, the prasadam. So, um, but, but, you know, if, if the average person is like this, maybe not you all on this call because you're all spiritually minded, the average people generally, if we're probably generally desire material enjoyment, material opulence, and the association of aristocratic family members. That's a well-known verse in the Bhagavad Gita. <clears throat> material enjoyment entails money, beauty, and reputation they bring and, and the reputation they bring, which can be achieved by the mercy of the goddess of fortune. The goddess of fortune, however, never remains alone. As indicated in the previous verse by the word Bhagavat Pura, she is a property of the Supreme Personality of Godhead and is enjoyable only by him. If one wants the favor of the goddess of fortune, Mother Lakshmi, because she is by nature Bhagavat Pura, one must keep her with Narayan. And Narayan is another name for Krishna. So in other words, people often want Lakshmi without Narayan, without Krishna. They want opulence and all this stuff, but like God, yeah, well, you know, okay, but not really, right? So that's, that's what basically is being said here. The devotees who always engage in the service of Narayan, Krishna, Narayana, Parayana, can easily achieve the favor of the goddess of fortune without a doubt, but materials who try to get the favor of the goddess of fortune only to possess her for personal enjoyment are frustrated. 
Theirs is not a good policy. The celebrated demon Ravana, for example, wanted to deprive Ramachandra of Lakshmi, Sita, and thus be victorious, but the result was just the opposite. Sita, of course, was taken by force by Lord Ramachandra, and Ravana and his entire material empire were vanquished. The goddess of fortune is desirable for everyone, including human beings, but one should understand that the goddess of fortune is the exclusive property of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. One cannot achieve the mercy of the goddess of fortune unless one prays both to her and to the supreme enjoyer, the personality of God. And so we're doing that by saying Hare Krishna. Hare is Radharani or Lakshmi, and Krishna is Krishna. So the devotee, if they have a lot of opulence, they want to use that opulence, that, that goddess, that Lakshmi, that from the goddess of fortune in the service of Krishna. Right. And they see um, such situations uh, as connect. So if someone, you know, gets, you know, some distant relative all of a sudden leaves you this huge windfall, um, we, we don't say, oh, okay, now I can go out. No, we, we would think, hmm, okay, wow, Krishna has given this. Now I may need it for this and that. Let me also use it in his service because it really is his. You know, we come into the world with nothing. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, right? Uh, you know, we come in the world with nothing, um, literally naked, <laughs> uh, and then we leave the world with nothing. Um, so ultimately everything belongs to Krishna, but Krishna tells us we all should have our quota. We all should have our quota. Um, not that we just, you know, renounce everything in this world, we have our quota. So, um, <clears throat> I thought I would read a little bit elsewhere about this point. This is from, let's see, from the beginning of the Chaitanya Charitamrita, a book about Lord Chaitanya. It is not that Radharani is separate from Krishna. Radharani is also Krishna, for there is no difference between the energy and the energetic. Without energy, there's no meaning to energetic. And without the energetic, there's no meaning to energy. Similarly, without Radha, there's no meaning to Krishna. And without Krishna, there's no meaning to Radha. They, you know, so the absolute truth is Radha Krishna. Because of this, the Vaishnava philosophy, first of all, pays obeisances to and worships the internal pleasure potency of the Supreme Lord. Thus, the Lord and his potency are always referred to as Radha Krishna. Similarly, those who worship Narayan, a, another form of Krishna, first of all, they utter the name of Lakshmi as Lakshmi Narayan. Similarly, for those who worship Lord Ram, first they utter the name Sita, Sita Ram, Radha Krishna, Lakshmi Narayan. Potency always comes first. So Krishna's, I could say female aspect is said first before Krishna, Radha Krishna. So um, any questions, comments on this point? Is it clear? Anyone need a clarification? So, well, I will bring up one thing. There's another verse that says that sometimes Krishna is very kind to a devotee and he, he puts them in an impoverished situation. Um, there's a verse in the 11th canto that says that, Yas yaham anugrinami harishe tantanam shanai. 
<clears throat> so how does that mix with this? I, I don't ha have an absolute answer to that. Um, we saw in Prabhupada's life that Krishna did that. He, 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 he had, uh, you know, his life in India and he became very, um, pretty poor. And he just had to beg, uh, to come to America on a steamship by the owner of the steamship company. And he came with no money, zero. I mean, you know, uh, 40 rupees, which couldn't even be exchanged in America in those days. And then he, uh, not that this was his desire at all. This wasn't, you know, he, he didn't use a, a penny in his own, for his own sense gratification. But in those um, 11 years, you know, just from, again, just from a Lakshmi Devi or goddess of fortune point of view, he amassed millions and millions and millions of dollars in assets, you know, 108 temples all over the world. He didn't stay in any of them. They were all for Krishna. And he, and over, I don't know how many millions and millions of dollars worth of books that were printed and how, and, you know, and, and et cetera, et cetera. So Krishna took away at one time and then gave, you know, so sometimes um, I, I know for a lot of us on this call, we don't need him to take anything else away from us because, you know, we already kind of, we're not like rolling in dough <laughs> to begin with. So now maybe Krishna will, you know, give us a whole, but the point is that um, to see, ultimately to see the Krishna Sambandha everywhere. Sambandha means relationship. And to see the relationship of money to Krishna, the circumstances in our life to Krishna, uh, um, people in this world to Krishna, uh, plants and animals and, and, and everything in relationship to Krishna, to see ultimately everything in relationship to Krishna. That's the, uh, that is being Krishna conscious. So here we're hearing, about the goddess of fortune or the whole idea of, of money um, or wealth and seeing that in relationship to Krishna. Anything else on this point? Uh, yes. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Nandimuki, and then Gurudas. Go ahead, Nandimuki. Thank you. Just, just to follow what you have said, everything is meant for uh, Sita Sambhanda. And actually, I'm just thinking the whole material creation is created for that purpose. Yes. Yes. Nandimuki, we can always count on you to give us some really strong philosophical point. That's, uh, that's, that's lovely. Yeah. The, ultimately, that's the, right, the purpose of the material world. Um, and Prabhupada is explained in two ways. To give conditioned souls an opportunity to go back to Godhead. And to give conditioned souls who really don't want to have anything to do with God uh, something to uh, some place to be. <laughs> I, I, at one time, I remember Prabhupada gave the example of um, uh, you know, if you give it like a child, let's say uh, uh, you know you, you you might give your child a uh, a toy. I don't know if you would call it a toy. Uh, a toy uh, kitchen set, right? It has it has a stove. It may even have I don't know if it has a refrigerator, you know, whatever. A place to place to cook, right? It's not the real thing, but it keeps the child busy. <laughs> so he once compared the material world a little bit to that toy set, where there is the reality of the kitchen in the spiritual world, and we're here just kind of you know messing around in the material world with our with our toys. 
Thank you, Nandi Mukhi, for that. Gurdas? Easy Bake Oven, I think, or it's called. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, so you were, your references made me think of how devotees in Prabhupada's time would, would endeavor to get wealthy so that they could contribute to the Krishna consciousness movement. Um, and, and, and uh, you know, like in the, in the book, Chasing Rhinos, how uh, Shama Sundar went into the ruby mines and so many other devotees to different things. And their goal was uh, to get lots and lots of money to accumulate money. But, but of course it was meant to please Prabhupada. That's right. So that we, you know, we can, uh, if that's our nature to uh, do that, then we can do that. Yeah, you can do so many things for Krishna. There's many things. There's only a few things you can't really do. You can't really be a butcher for Krishna. I think you should really change your occupation if you if you're a butcher and then become interested in bhakti. It would be really good to um, to find more wholesome. You know, cut flowers instead of. Uh, <laughs> Boy, God, God forbid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like that. Thank you for that. Okay, so then let us carry on, and we're going up to uh, the next verse. Oh, just to verse eleven. Actually, we're going to talk about animals in verse eleven. Um, the King of Heaven, text ten, Indra, brought a suitable sitting place for the goddess of fortune. All the rivers of sacred water, such as the Ganges and Jamuna, personified themselves, personified themselves, and each of them brought pure water in golden water pots for Mother Lakshmi, the goddess of fortune. So very personal rivers. Um, uh, there's, pers there's personifications of rivers, uh, at least the, the sacred rivers like the Ganges and the Jamuna um, mentioned in the scriptures. The land became a... Person. So the land personality, like Mother Bhumi, we even call Mother Earth, right? And, and we use that word. Um, and we don't sometimes even think about why it's called Mother Earth. Well, duh, every, think of everything that you see right now. Did anything not come from the Earth? Right? Did my watch not come from the Earth? My glass case? My computer? The food that we eat? The clothes that we wear? Right? It's all body. <laughs> yeah, body. Yeah. Sarva Kama Dukamahi. It said that the Mother Earth fulfills all the necessities of the human being. Yeah. Your headphones, uh, uh, Andy. All coming from the earth. All coming from the earth. Um, the cows delivered five products, namely milk, yogurt, ghee, urine, and cow dung. And spring personified, so even the, the seasons have a personification. And spring personified collected everything produced in spring during the months of Chaitra and Vaishaka, or April and May. What is it? April showers bring May flowers in America? Did you say that? Right. So, purport. Panchagavya, punch means five. The five products received from the cow, namely milk, yogurt, ghee, cow dung, and cow urine, are required in all ritualistic ceremonies performed according to the Vedic directions. These are traditional. Cow urine and cow dung are uncontaminated, and since even the urine and dung of a cow are important, we can just imagine how important this animal is for human civilization. 
Therefore, the Supreme Personality of Godhead Krishna directly advocates go raksha, the protection of cows. Civilized men who follow the system of Varnashrama, especially those of the Vaishya class, the, uh, the um, mercantile and, and ag agricultural, who engage in agriculture and trade must give protection to the cows. Unfortunately, because people in Kali Yuga, the age that we live in, are Manda, all bad, Sumanda, Mataya, misled by false conceptions of life, they are killing cows in the thousands. Therefore, they are unfortunate in spiritual consciousness, and nature disturbs them in so many ways, especially through incurable diseases like cancer and through frequent wars among nations. That's quite a timely sentence. As long as human society continues to allow cows to be regularly killed in slaughterhouses, there cannot be any question of peace and prosperity. So um, there's about 350 million people in America, human beings, and worldwide about 300 million cows are slaughtered yearly. That's almost 1 million a day. And don't even get, don't even start talking about chickens, because that's all in the billions. I think six billion in China, five billion in America, and and, and of course there's other animals. Um, you know, there's fourteen thousand McDonald's restaurants in America. There's only fifty states, so if you do the math, right? Um, and there's twenty five thousand subways, and it's not that subway you know serves everything vegetarian either. <laughs> So um, can you imagine? You know, they just—it's—it's it's all pervasive. And here, Sheila Prabhupada is saying, you know, don't expect great things. You know, kind of a collective karma. If if so much of our life is based on violence, and, and therefore, uh, and now you know, we, some people could maybe. May, voice a concern if there are vegans about this purport. Um, but remember the, the uh, and then we talked about this, I think a week or two ago, that um, this especially holds true for cows that are ahimsa cows, that they'll never be slaughtered. And and I don't know anything about cows. Uh, Jenny knows a lot about cows. You know, see the picture of her right there? I guess that's her, yeah. Uh, <laughs> But I'm told, and we already, we already mentioned this last week, I'm told um, by people who take care of cows that um, cows, when they're treated with love, and, and they, even, they even almost inherently know they're not going to be killed, um, they produce so much more milk and much more than their calves could. could uh, and and that, that we see as Krishna's arrangement for, um, for the betterment of society. And even I'm told, and I don't know how to prove this or anything, you know, that that the quality of the milk is different. You know, you know, you can, I mean, we can understand that they have, uh, they're sentient beings and um, yeah, like that. So at least we do ourselves, uh, you know, maybe do, try our, you know, be um, not part of the meat industry in any way, shape or form. And when appropriate, uh, encourage others to do the same. Any thoughts on this? Comments, questions? <clears throat> For those not in the DC area, you have to come and see uh, Gita and Vani. <laughs> I told you before, they're so well taken care of. My God, they get organic vegetables. <laughs>
and they're well taken care of by the devotees who take care of them. Right, Andy? Yeah. And Gopal takes care of them and his wife, Rui. Yeah. With such devotion, that's that's great to see too. Yeah. Yeah, the cats go crazy when they see their car driving up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're like little kids at you know Christmas or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very nice. Yeah, you know when you see, when you hang out with Gita and I was spending a little time with them yesterday. You know, you couldn't even think of killing them. Of course, you know the way we do it in 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 in, in Western civilizations, you don't see the connection, right? You just see this slab of something at at the grocery store. Um, you know, if, uh, maybe maybe there would be more vegetarians if you actually had to be the one that actually killed the animal. There might be some baby, some people who couldn't do, it, but it's all tucked away. And um, at least I know for chickens, because I uh, I went to college, um, grad school in the Shenandoah Valley, where there's a lot of these huge chicken farms, and you know they're they're just there's no windows or anything, and you know what, and they're just anyway, very efficient. <laughs> Okay, shall we then carry on? But the point here Prabhupada is making is that there's, uh, you know, there's reactions to things that we do individually and collectively as a society. Uh, just a little anecdote. Yes, Prabhupada. Like, uh, uh, I, when I first started my job out of college, I met these two engineers who were, uh, about to be retired and they were like okay we'll go to oklahoma we will uh raise uh, cows and so forth uh and they went they came back and they were like well i don't think we can do this <laughs> because we were looking at these they, they all have different personalities and so so you know like you said if people had good on their own there'd be a lot less uh meat eaters yeah yeah, yeah, and, and, but people can become numb. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, I, 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 part of one small aspect of where I work in the Department of the Interior is um, is called BOEM, um, Bureau of Energy Management. But they basically what they do is they do um, they work they create leases for offshore oil drilling. And, you know, I've had people, at least two people come in, I just love oil. I just love the idea of extracting oil from the earth. So, you know, we can get covered over uh, by things, you know. Yeah. Okay, so let us carry on. Uh, we're um, going around up to verse 20. So the great sages performed the bathing ceremony of the goddess of fortune, as directed in the authorized scriptures, the Gandharvas chanted all auspicious Vedic mantras. The Gandharvas have these beautiful voices. And the professional women dancers very nicely danced and sang authorized songs pres prescribed in the Vedas. The clouds in personified form, so here are personified clouds, uh, beat various types of drums known as mirdangas, panavas, uh, murajas and anakas. They also blew conch shells and bugles known as gomukas and played flutes and stringed instruments. So there's a whole festival going on. The combined sound of this, these instruments were tumultuous. So we don't do it quite like this, but we do, the, the Sanskrit word is abhishek. 
where uh, you bathe someone in all these this auspicious uh, different, uh, it's a very beautiful ceremony. We do that to the deity forms on special days, like um, Gaur Purnima, which is coming up. Henry, can you tell us when Gaur Purnima is? Can you research that? 17th. 17th. Thank you. So that's coming up soon. That's the, that's the next big festival, right? Yes. So the 17th of, uh, is that St. Patrick's Day? Probably. Yeah. All right. So easy to remember, at least this year. Uh, um, yes. Yeah, so uh, that, that day we devotees fast until moonrise, right? And uh, remember Lord Chaitanya like that. And Henry and I will be in uh, Gainesville, Florida that day. And uh, Dana, if, if you can come, that would be great. Yes, that would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Thereafter, the great elephants from all the directions carrying big water jugs full of Ganges water and bathed the goddess of fortune to the accompaniment of Vedic mantras chanted by learned pramanas. While thus being bathed, the goddess of fortune maintained her original style with a lotus flower in her hand, and she appeared very beautiful. The goddess of fortune is the most chaste, for she does not know anyone but Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. <clears throat> uh, the ocean, by the way, if anyone ever wondered how this, these words, the Supreme Personality, why, why does Prabhupada use that a lot? He, he's really trying to drill, uh, remind us again and again and again and again and again. Um, so Supreme, we know what that is, but he really this important personality, because, right? you know, in, in, in bhakti is all about relationships and loving relationships with a person. And I, I heard the, I forget the explanation of Godhead. You know, we usually hear God. Um, I'd have to remember, if anyone remembers what the explanation, but, but that, uh, that, but Prabhupada, he's, um, he's always wanting to be careful because Krishna performs different activities, and it might be that we could think that he's just an ordinary person. So he's always reminding us. That's why, you know, that is there so often. Uh, text. Uh, whoops, did I get, I think I went backwards somehow on my computer. Hold on. All right, Bo, can I ask something? Yeah. Since you brought, since you brought up so nicely. Uh, once I was asked uh, by someone a question about why does Prabhupada sometimes use the supreme personality of Godhead in his literature and sometimes the personality of Godhead? And I wasn't able to answer it. And I was wondering if anyone uh, here. I always took it as just, you know, you know, he's, he's transcribing. Uh, I never took it as something super significant. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, just uh, sometimes he said it one way, sometimes he said it the other. I don't know if, if you know, you, uh, but one could do some research and to see, is he really trying to push home a certain point in a certain place? But that would take, uh, so I'm not saying, you know, I'm uh, that what I'm saying is right or anything, just that, um, um, yeah. I, uh, but if you want to research yeah. and let us know, because you'd have to look at the context and is the context something you know, and see if there's a difference. Sure. Thank okay, you. So we are on 15. 
The ocean, which is the source of all valuable jewels, supplied the upper and lower portions of a yellow silken garment. The predominating deity of the water, Varuna, presented flower garlands surrounded by six-legged bumblebees, drunken with honey. They didn't bite. Uh, Vishwakarma, one of the Prajapatis, uh, the progenitors of mankind, and also Vishwakarma was a, uh, a great architect, supplied varieties of decorated ornaments. The goddess of learning, Saraswati, supplied a necklace. Lord Brahma supplied a lotus flower, and the inhabitants of Nagaloga supplied earrings. Thereafter, Mother Lakshmi, the goddess of fortune, having been properly celebrated with an auspicious ritualistic ceremony, began moving about, holding in her hand a garland of lotus flowers, which were surrounded by humming bumblebees. Smiling with shyness, her cheeks decorated by her earrings, she looked extremely beautiful. So if we had flowers surrounded by bumblebees, we'd like, ah, get out of here, ah, right? But in this case, uh, they, they, don't, they don't sting. They're just, it's a beautiful thing having them around. It's not, yeah. <laughs> uh, her two breasts, were, which were symmetrical and nicely situated, were covered with sandalwood pulp and kumkum powder, and her waist was very thin. As she walked here and there, her ankle bells jingled, jingling softly. She appeared like a creeper of gold. While walking among the Gandharvas, Yakshas, Asuras, Siddhas, Charnas, and denizens of heaven, Lakshmi Devi, the goddess of fortune, was scrutinizingly examining them, but she could not find anyone naturally endowed with all good qualities. None of them were devoid of faults, and therefore she could not take shelter of anyone. So here now she's looking for her eternal consort, Krishna, and she's, uh, or, you know, in the form of Lord Narayan, and she's saying, no. Pretty good, but no, 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 you know, like that. <laughs> and we'll talk about that in a minute. But there's a little bit more of this searching going on. The goddess of fortune examining the assembly thought in this way. Someone who has undergone great austerities has not yet conquered anger, or at least not necessarily. Someone possessing knowledge, but he has not conquered material desires. Someone is a very great personality, but he cannot conquer lusty desires. Even the great personality depends on something else. How then can he be the supreme controller? In uh, the next verse, someone may possess full knowledge of religion, but still not be kind to all living entities. In someone, whether human or demigods, there may be renunciation, but that is not the cause of liberation. The ultimate cause is bhakti, right? Someone may possess great power, but yet, uh, and yet be unable to check the power of eternal time. They, they still get old. Someone else may have renounced attachment to the material world, yet he cannot compare to the Supreme Personality of God. Therefore, no one is completely free from the influence of the material modes of nature. Someone may have longevity, but not have auspiciousness or good behavior. Someone may have both auspiciousness and good behavior, but the duration of life is not fixed. Although such demigods as Lord Shiva have eternal life, they have inauspicious habits like living in the crematoriums. And even if others, and there's an explanation for that, um, which we can give another time. And even if others are well qualified in all respects, they are not devotees of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Sukadev Goswami continued, in this way, after full deliberation, the goddess of fortune accepted Mukunda, another name for Krishna, which means giver of liberation, as her husband, 
because although he is independent and not in want of her, he possesses all transcendental qualities and mystic powers and is therefore most desirable. So this reminds me of this very interesting pastime at the very end of the 10th canto, the eight, the 89, there's 90 chapters in the 89th chapter. <clears throat> so these sages were coming together and they were asking, what? we're not sure who's supreme. Is it Krishna in the form of Vishnu? Is it Brahma or is it Lord Shiva? So they appointed Bhrigu Muni, this great, this uh, uh, sage who at this time yet wasn't yet a pure devotee, but he was a great sage. And they sent him to, to figure it out. So first he goes to his father, Lord Brahma. And he, uh, he doesn't pay obeisances. He doesn't fall down at the feet of Lord Brahma, which is totally normal, first of all, because it's his father. And second of all, because he's Lord Brahma, right? And Lord Brahma, like, gets a little upset. You know, what's going on here, right? But he checks himself. He said, no, but he's my son. I won't, you know, do anything drastic here. But he's still, he's a little offended by it. So then he goes to Lord Shiva, who's like his brother, because they were both born of Lord, Lord, uh, Lord Brahma. And... And Lord Shiva says, oh, my, my, long, my brother. And he goes to embrace him. And Bhrigu won't embrace him. And Shiva, Shiva can get pretty upset. He's, he's like, oh, steam's coming out of his ears, you know. And luckily, Sati uh, is there. And she says, calm down, my dear husband. You know, he's your brother. Don't kill him or do anything. But, you know, he had to, so he had to he calmed down. And he checked his anger. So then Bhrigu went to Vishnu, went to Krishna, uh, Vishnu. Um, and uh, he kicked him on the chest. He kicked Lord Vishnu on the chest. And what did Lord Vishnu say? He said two, he said two things. He said, first of all, oh, I'm so sorry. Did my hard chest hurt you? Are you okay? I hope I didn't offend you. <laughs> right? And then he said, oh, I've become so purified. A brahmana has touched me with their foot. I'm so fortunate. And Brigu was like, what? <laughs> so, you know, there's three ways you can offend someone, at least three ways, right? By, by, um, by just your, your body, like, you know, not paying obeisances to Lord Brahma, by your words with Lord Shiva, or physically, you know, physical assault, like with Vishnu. That's the heaviest of the three. And seeing Lord Vishnu saying, oh, did I hurt you? I'm sorry, my chest is so hard. He went back to his sages and they all agreed, nope, Vishnu is definitely supreme. <laughs> So, you know, so similar things going on here, you know, we're trying to figure out who's supreme. So goddess uh, uh, fortune here is like, you know, trying to check out and finally she, she's, she realizes it's Krishna. So that's a very interesting little uh, pastime there, right near the end of the 10th canto, which is the, by far the biggest canto in the uh, Srimad Bhagavatam. So, um, Thoughts? What are your thoughts on Lakshmi searching for the right person or the Brigu story? It was, yeah, there was an interesting example of time dilation and, and distortion, as they say in science community, because apparently this is like Lakshmi being born from the milk ocean 
But then they also point out that he's actually always was eternally in Krishna's bosom, even at the same time. So that just shows you at time, the meaning of time doesn't mean anything at that transcendental level. It's like all scrambled. <laughs> well, that's true. I, and I would also add that I don't know if this necessarily these, all of these uh, entities were created at that time. They may have just somehow appeared, but, but, your, but, your, but your point is still well taken that uh, time, it's very hard to grasp just the special nature of time. And the fact that time is conspicuous by its absence in the spiritual world, you know, but we've talked about this, I think it was last week or the week before, how we know time's relative. You know, if you really think that this was like a great class, I'm not saying, you know, then you say, oh my gosh, it's already been an hour and 15 minutes. Wow. Or if you really thought, oh my God, it's so boring, but I showed up and I can't just, you know, what will Braj Bihari think if I leave in the middle of it? You know, he might get upset with me and so, you know, okay, let me uh, go off of uh, camera and, you know, do the crossword puzzle or, you know, or whatever, you know, and it just seems that that class lasted forever. So time is relative. Yeah. Really also, uh, did you have any comments left over from uh, text 20? Cause it, in your email, oh. you said you were going to pause there, but it didn't seem like you really did. You're right. I, I, you, yeah. Not only did it not seem that I really, I didn't at all. <laughs> Let's look at it, okay? Thank you. Here is an attempt to find the Supreme Controller, or Ishwara. Ishwara means uh, controller. Everyone may be accepted as an Ishwara. Now, everyone may be accepted as an Ishwara or controller, but still such controllers are controlled by others. For example, one may have undergone severe austerities, but still be under the control of anger. By a scrutinizing analysis, we find that everyone is controlled by something else. Right? Sometimes we're controlled by anger, sometimes we're controlled by lust, sometimes we're controlled by greed, sometimes we're controlled by you know, these different moods that we're in. Therefore, uh, no one, therefore, can be the true controller but the Supreme Personality of God at Krishna. This is supported by the Shastra, the scriptures, Ishwara, Paramaha Krishna, that the Parama means the Supreme, Ishwara means the controller, and who is that? Krishna. The Supreme Controller is Krishna. Krishna is never controlled by anyone, for he is a controller of everyone. Now, remember we said that Krishna is controlled by one other, is controlled by one person. Do you remember? Radharani. yes. So by love, he can be controlled. But Prabhupada is not making that point here. Here he's just talking about the basic understanding of being controlled. But, But Krishna can be controlled by love. In one sense, yeah. Uh, was there something in this purport, Andy, that you wanted specifically to focus on? No, I just wanted to hear what you had to say about it. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think, at least I don't think about it like that so much. But we really are controlled a lot by our mind. Isn't it? And, and, uh, our mind is a little melancholy and we think we're melancholy. Our mind is angry and we think we're angry. And this is something to really try to do in our life is to really, it's not easy, but you get a little better at it every time you try it. And that is to try to be an observer of the mind and see, no, it's my mind that's melancholy. It's, my, it's not me, the soul. 
let me really try to do something spiritual right now. Let me try to chant Krishna's name or do something spiritual and see if I can transcend the mind. Um, yeah, the mind will, will, I don't know if you ever had this happen. This is something that I, 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 I find it challenging. And there's something in my life that I'm worried about or concerned about. And, and I stop thinking about it and I'm kind of okay. And I'm, it's almost like the mind is tapping me on the shoulder. Wait a second. Don't you remember you're supposed to be anxious about that thing? Aren't you supposed to be, come on, get anxious, get anxious. Right? You can't, you're not supposed to be like happy and anxiety free right now. You're supposed to be anxious about this thing that you're, that's going on in your life. Come on. I don't know if that happens to others, but uh, it, ha- it definitely happens to me sometimes. And, 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 it's, and it's not easy, but Krishna is there. He's a person. And if we do turn to him, he will, he will, um, um, he, he's, he's called Chitta Hari. One day, there's all the, I know I'm throwing all these Sanskrit words out. Chitta Hari, the Chitta, C I T T I, uh, or A, C I C I T T I, A, sorry, C I T T A, means the consciousness. And Hari means to take away, or, or we could even say to steal. So he steals our mind and ultimately steals our heart. So, oh, Dana says, yes, she's had that experience. Maybe once, Dana? Twice? In your life? Uh, uh, every day. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's good to remember this. Chitta Hari Krishna steals our consciousness. Um, and it's interesting. It's my experience is it's not exactly that we have to fight to do it. It's almost like if we just kind of cool, calm and collect, chant Krishna's name, then you see the river behind Henry. The, the flow of the Potomac River there, uh, it, you can just feel that Krishna's bringing you down the river uh, towards his towards him, and uh, there's less anxiety. One time I was walking with Henry, and he's such a uh, uh, saintly person. He was, we were walking right along that river, right there. That's probably where we took. I, I may have taken that picture of back then. His phone notes, um, and he said, "Just all of your worries, Brad. Just." have them just like the flow of the Potomac River here because it flows pretty strongly in that um, in that area near um, near the falls uh, yeah so so it's not exactly like we have to grit our teeth but just like you know Krishna please accept me please uh, give me shelter please be Chittahari please lead my consciousness towards you and and you sometimes there may some be some, like a struggle in the beginning, but then you feel like you're just um, going down the, uh, or maybe the, that, that I wouldn't, we shouldn't probably use the Potomac River because that's actually dangerous. People uh, drown there every, every year. But the Itcha, it, what's it called? Itcha Tukmi? Is that the one in Alachua uh, area? Yeah, that's a very, very slow meandering. Is it a river exactly or, or a creek? I don't know what you it call it. It is a river. It's yeah. a river. But you just go down it on a tube, uh, you know, and it's usually warm because it's Florida. And you just go very slowly and you just like, and you just let the river take you. And chanting can be like that also. Sometimes it takes a little while to get into our chanting. But then after a while, you just feel like you're being taken down a river. Okay. Other thoughts, questions, comments?
you know, service is so satisfying, you know, it can really take your mind off of, you know, these turbo scenarios or these thinking about negative things. I mean, everybody has the problem of thinking about the negative things. And if, and if just even some simple service and you just become so satisfied doing that service that it just takes your mind off all the bad stuff. Yeah. Andy, Nandi Mukhi, have you had that experience at the temple sometimes doing service? Yeah, I have that experience a lot. Yeah. I mean, I like what you said about observing your own mind because the question came up before, how can you tell Krishna is acting in your life? Well, a very tangible thing, if you can observe your mind, what is your mind thinking about? What are you doing? That's a reaction to what you really are feeling, right? Mm -hmm. Or what's coming into your mind, right? Yeah. yeah. So you're, you find yourself gobbling down a big chocolate bar and you don't overreact. It's not like eating a hamburger. You say, oh, it's very interesting. Why? Uh, what do you want me doing this all of a sudden? I thought you had quit. I thought I had quit doing that. But, uh, <laughs> just observe it and you can learn a lot about how Krishna is acting in your life. Mm. Yes. That's the way I feel. It's yes, continuous sir. for me. Service is very, uh, yeah, getting absorbed in service. Henry, <laughs> he was just about to leave the temple a few months ago and this one devotee said, oh, come with me. And he, he brought him into the kitchen and said, can you please, you know, cut up these vegetables? And, and Henry was like, you know, at first, I'm out the door. I have things to do with my life. And he did it, and he was blissful, right? Very blissful, you know. He, I, I couldn't say no, you know. I couldn't say no, and it worked out great. It was very good for my consciousness. Right, but, and even as something little simple, when I go out to the temple and I pick up a few pieces of trash that are blowing around or something, even that is a little satisfying. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yes. Go ahead. Yes. Okay. Um. Yeah, I was just thinking when you were reading that purport about, or actually this whole series of verses about um, uh, the goddess of fortune, how she's searching mm -hmm. and everybody is controlled by something, not knowing that principle, you know, uh, or not knowing about Krishna. Um, I mean, I can remember so many times in my earlier life when uh, when I would uh, openly admire someone who had been successful or had achieved some great uh, artistic success and, and and then you know how disappointed I remember being to, to find you know oh oh they had lots of faults you know they were you know, they were great in this one way, but then, you know, it was me ascribing that, uh, you know, because they were great in that one way, they had all these other qualities too. Um, right. Uh, and it's kind of, kind of uh, shattering to find that, oh, they had so many limitations. They're just Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I mentioned in a different class last week. For me, it was a little bit like Bill Cosby. I really thought he was a great guy and clean cut and all this. And you hear about what he did. Uh, you know. So, yeah, so uh, these people weren't in Bill Cosby's category that we're reading about, but they weren't Krishna. And so Lakshmi was very careful. <laughs> all right, well, we have a few minutes left. We can read a few more verses, um, starting in 24. 
approaching the supreme personality of God, the goddess of fortune placed upon his shoulders a garland of newly grown lotus flowers, which were surrounded by humming bumblebees searching for honey. Then, expecting to get a place on the bosom of the Lord, she remained standing by his side, her face smiling in shyness. The Supreme Personality of Godhead is the father of the three worlds, and his bosom is the residence of Mother Lakshmi, the goddess of fortune, the proprietor of all opulences. The goddess of fortune, by her favorable and merciful glance, can increase the opulence of the three worlds, along with their inhabitants and their directors, the demigods. So the purport is very similar to what we had talked about earlier, so we can probably skip that, although I did give it for reading uh, about... Um, so in, in, the, in this world, Lakshmi is another name for her is Chanchala, which means, um, uh, what does it mean? Um, what's, what do we, we don't say, flick, not flickering. Um, yeah, actually, I have heard flickering as flickering, a, Yeah, come, it comes and goes, right? So some, you know, we, and we see, right? Some people may be very poor, they become rich, they're rich, they become poor, they're five, you know, they're 401k tanks or or, you know, um, they bought a stock that they almost forgot about and it all of a sudden shoots up or, you know, it, money comes and goes in this world, but she's always steady at Krishna's lotus feet, so, uh, or at Krishna's chest. So if you want, so, so the best way to be kind of secure, even in terms of the goddess of fortune is to worship Krishna because she's always with Krishna. <laughs> but otherwise, Chanchala. <laughs> 26. The inhabitants of Gandharva Loka and Charna Loka, these are different planetary systems, then took the opportunity to play their musical instruments, such as conch shells, bugles, and drums. They began dancing and singing along with their wives. Lord Brahma, Lord Shiva, the great sage Angira, and similar directors of universal management showered flowers and chanted mantras, indicating the transcendental glories of the Supreme Personality of Kadet. All the demigods, along with the Prajapatis and their descendants, being blessed by Lakshmi's glance upon them, were immediately enriched with good behavior and transcendental qualities. Thus, they were very much satisfied. And maybe the last one for today. O king, because of being neglected by the goddess of fortune, the demons and rakshasas were depressed, bewildered, and frustrated. And thus, they became shameless. We will talk. We will start on verse 30 next week. Thank you so much for being, and thank you for all of your comments. Uh, and questions. Uh, it's very nice when there's participatory like this. Um, it makes it easier for me <laughs> like that. And uh, I hope you have a very nice Sunday for those of us in certain parts of the country. It's, it's like 70 degrees in DC today. It's wild, right? Might be 80 tomorrow. And it's gonna be 80 tomorrow. Yeah. And Chinaz, is it warm in Texas? Not too bad. Um, a little, a little breezy today. Okay. That's right. Yes. And what about for you, Dana? Ninety-five today. It is definitely warm today. It's already eighty. Already <laughs> eighty. All right. Yeah, so. David, you want to say what it's in South Carolina? You're on you, but uh, and Nandi Muki will probably be pretty warm in New Jersey today. Well, we're all over the country, aren't we? Upstate New York. Uh, yeah, all over. Okay. Well, have a very have a very pleasant day, and uh, thank you very much, Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna, thank you so much.
Hare Krishna. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.